Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 63. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. Welcome back, and you're Leanne. Back, you're back. You're I good. am. How was the Tasmanian I hope I can wilderness? Remember how this all goes. Uh, I just it might be a bit hard for me. So treat me treat me like I'm uh, on probation again. Again. Now you've been you've been lost in the Tasmanian wilderness. I think for the last little while. <laughs> I haven't been lost. We were perfectly perfectly uh, mapped and compassed. Absolutely. My view is anytime you're in the wilderness, you're lost. You're not meant to be there. Yes, that's right. That's right. I won't torture you with stories. It's okay. <laughs> well, it's great to have you back, Leanne. And uh, our episode this week, uh, we'll be cutting to an interview later that I conducted with Megan Mitchell, the national, uh, sorry, Megan Mitchell, I should say, the National Children's Commissioner. It was a really good chat about the work she's already done up to now and the upcoming two-year term that she'll be engaged in. But let's kick into a few things that we want to cover just in the news so that we're back with uh, news chat, which we're still trying to make happen as a hashtag, except I forget to to tweet it or actually use it any time. But it's what's on the running sheet, so we're sticking with it. Um, so let's start with uh, the big one that's going to be affecting services and, and educators for the next uh, quite little while. Uh, the transition process to the new childcare package that commences in July has really kicked into gear with families beginning to receive letters, asking them to log on to MyGov and confirm their income and activity details, and services should be given access uh, to the new portal shortly. Uh, interestingly, interestingly, though, at the time of this recording uh, on Wednesday night, the government's family subsidy estimator has been unavailable for two full days at the height of their marketing push. This no. would be a few days after the Prime Minister was spruiking it, so... You don't want to launch into conspiracy Leanne, theories too quickly. Seen, have you felt the shockwaves of Liam's frustration about this issue? Look, I'm I sure haven't. That they can I be haven't. felt from Canberra to Sydney. Uh, I, I, look, I'm sure they're there. I must say that I've got my head in the sand, which I shouldn't have. But it, every time I hear someone talking about this or I'm face-to-face with someone, I just think, oh, this is terrifying. Terrifying. Well, can, can I bring up two things about this quickly? So one, yes, I and, and I amazed you picked up the subtle hints, Lisa, that I was a bit frustrated <laughs> with this because, so uh, I obviously work for a service provider. We have four early childhood centres. We uh, we timed, we, we developed some communications out to families. We didn't want them to be bombarded throughout the entire year. So we said, look, the timeline says families will be getting to get communication from the government in April. Let's time our initial email as a service provider to go out in April. And I'm going to say, given that anyone, everyone who spent the last 62 episodes listening to me, you would assume I wrote this letter, you would assume it would be, you know, a bit of a hatchet job on the government. It was actually fairly nicely worded. We, in, in one small paragraph, I outlined our summary concerns. We said, this is happening and it's important you, you get on board with it. One of the things we wanted to do was uh, link them to the subsidy estimator and say, if you're comfortable, can you share in really general terms your results? Are you planning on be better? Is, is the estimator saying you're going to be better off or, or sort of worse off or about the same? You didn't have to give us figures and you didn't have to, you could even do it anonymously, but it would just give us a rough sense across our families of what they were facing. And literally we hit send on that email on Tuesday morning and we, we received about five emails back immediately saying, oh, that, that link's broken. And they taken the estimator down that morning. Oh. I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. The other, the second thing I'm going to say is that um, uh, I'm also a parent of a child who's accessing an early childhood centre. So I've I, we logged on to to MyGov to complete the uh, you know the the information that they're requiring in there, and it's appalling. The questions are so vague and so unclear. It's it's a really bad system, and they're going to have to do some work on it because I've, I've I've seen some chatter on social media, and they're even you know pretty highly. Uh, 
you know, competent journos going on there going, I've got no idea what they're asking me to do. This is not looking like, this is not, I mean. So what are they asking, Liam? Look, one of them, an example is, so they ask for, uh, obviously, if, if there's a parent who's working, they say, when did you start working? Now, there's no idea. Are they asking there for, when did you first start walking? I'm, I'm very happy to give them the date of my first shift at Toys R Us Belconnen when I was a 17-year-old. <laughs> so it should say in this, in this yeah, job. Yeah, well, when did you start That's working with the current employee? Really basic language stuff. Um, but then we've also changed. Um, so my son has, uh, has is currently attending a service. He was attending a different service at the start of the year. And both of those services came up as current enrolments when we went in there. And it was really unclear what we were supposed to do with those two things. The system seems very undercooked, is the phrase I'm going to say. So you couldn't just accept one of them as your current enrolment? Well, I think I did, but it's kind of unclear. You have to go in and sort of edit and go approve or or disapprove. But it's not clear when they're saying, but it, it doesn't actually list the two as as separate or like different enrolments. You can, there's no sort of option to say, well, he was there, but he's not there anymore. It's just kind of... Is this right or is this wrong? And it's not technically wrong. He was there, but he's just not there now. It just... And you're someone who has a grasp of this process in some way. So what's it like for others yeah. who don't have any understanding of why these questions are being asked yeah. um, and what, what they're actually required to put in there? This is not good. No. Or that's, the people that's an that don't have access to MyGov that don't have internet access because mm. they're still waiting on the yeah. NBN or because they're too poor to have internet access. The people that don't understand government processes in the in the best times, people that have never had to have childcare subsidies before because previously their services were you know, bulk funded in some way. Shall we continue? But I did like the, the the new cinema ad. I would have hated to have been the uh, the writer and director and creative department <laughs> of that ad, but they managed to tick off the the child that is Aboriginal, the child with a disability, the child <laughs> with a lone father, the every you know possible um, uh, you know cohort was covered in that ad. But at the same time, it was a very middle-class ad, mm-hmm. you know, like all those children were very loved and very cared for by their families. Well, well conceptually, it is very middle-class to have that kind of presence as well in, you know, like a, to tick every box like a bingo card because <laughs> yeah, that's just yeah. not what happens in communities. And so... There was even a grandparent there, you know. I hope they still get the grandparent um, additional childcare subsidy, but hey. <laughs> well, so I think we'll, we'll obviously be keeping track on that and I think we have tentative plans to bring our good friend Carl back in the next couple of months to do a kind of transition episode, so to sort of wrap up where we are with the transition to the new system and I guess provide some, some guidance to services on what that But there be. is one really good piece of news, Liam, that we've got to talk about before we get off this topic, which is that today the Minister wrote to every service, theoretically, and we're not exactly sure if services have received it yet, but um, saying that they've decided to take away the necessity to sign in and out for your actual hours so that services don't have to enter the times into the um, to the new um, system 
of when parents drop off and pick up their children. All right. So, again, so how is that? Can I just ask how is that then going to work? Because that was one of the big concerns that we had about the times and the and the impact on staff. Is there somewhere that that still has to happen? Yeah, from January of next year, but just right. not now. But this is Although they have said if you have a kiosk sort of situation where parents are signing in electronically, could you please start submitting those details straight away? So obviously they want to get a sense of how many hours of unpaid ch- you know, mm. care are being claimed for that aren't actually oh. being used. So I just want to put on my service provider hat one more time tonight and then we can get off this annoying topic that's giving me a headache. A couple of things here. One, did they have they been clear that the reason this decision has been taken is that they're not ready for this system, not that they're being generous to the sector. I, I, we haven't actually received photos as far no, as I know. They've, they've kind no, they've kind of said, you know, we, and, we listen to the sector saying it's just too much. And I, I, can I just say as well, I know, I know this is going to be a very boring point to anyone who does not have to, have to sit down and develop a budget, but this information would have been fantastic to know six or 12 months ago before we actually had to, as an unbudgeted expense, because we didn't know when this was coming in, purchase a whole bunch of these uh, tablet tablety device things. If we'd known this wasn't going to be a requirement to July, we could have pushed it off into next year's budget and actually budgeted for it. But as it was, this was an unplanned administrative expense, despite the fact that the department were pretty clear in Senate estimates that they didn't think there'd be any additional administration costs. And my but budget. Liam, you've got tons of cash to splash around. Oh my of course God. you wanted to buy that now. Oh my God. Yeah. Can I just say, look, are we, are we, look, can we, we, we laugh about it, but that was, uh, I'm not going to reveal the, the, the number. I'm not laughing about it. No, I'm well, but laughing. it's laughing or crying, Liam, which I understand. But do you know what? That was an amount of money, which was a significant amount of money that now we are not spending on professional development. We're not spending on additional hours for children at risk of vulnerability and need. And again, it is simple, it is, it is emblematic of this. Not only is this bad policy, but the, 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 the transition and the rollout is looking very, very shaky and it just could have been done a whole lot better. And interestingly, Liam, it, it also kind of traps you to use the provider that you've now bought the electronic exactly. um, sign-in session from, Yeah. Where, whereas you might, you know, have chosen to hang around and not do that yeah. for a while. Yeah, very yeah. true. We better move on. We could do a whole episode. Probably, we could probably do a whole episode every week about the new childcare package, but um, uh, we mm-hmm. might lose listeners at a rate of not. I think stopped. people would get get a bit bored with yeah, it. Yeah, it's possible. Maybe maybe for the childcare package tragics, you could edit a whole episode together <laughs> of all of the things that um, what yeah. of just Liam groaning every few minutes. <laughs> we could just do a separate spin-off show, the childcare package show. That's just all it is. All childcare <laughs> package all week. Um, but uh, we'll stick with Education Minister Simon Birmingham, who's been very busy over the last few weeks promoting the importance of early education from birth. Oh, sorry, I've, I've, I've made a mistake there. My, my sincere apologies, everyone. Uh, Education Minister Simon Birmingham, Birmingham has been busy over the last few weeks promoting how much family daycare fraud uh, he's been stopping. Uh, but interestingly, media outlets are finally starting to ask questions about how these 
pretty ridiculously obvious rorts were ever allowed to happen in the first place. Uh, one example was a service where the department made 11 payments that added up to $5.4 million in one fortnight, even though the insane amount of enrolments the centre was reporting was inconsistent with the size of the business, to put it mildly, and more than half uh, the over 235,000 attendance sessions were lodged without educator details. We've talked about fraud and rorting a lot in the last little while. I think we've always pointed out, you know, A, the minute cases of fraud as a percentage of the sector, but also the system allows this to happen. The department could have stopped this years and years and years ago. But I think the point we want to make here is that it, this, we're actually seeing this in sort of media outlets as well. I think there was an article in the in the Fairfax papers about... There was um, one in Fairfax and, and one in The Australian, and they both kind of like raised the same sort of questions, you know. If there's a honeypot, you know, will there always be fraud unless, um, you know, the government actually actively works to ensure that it can't happen? Absolutely. I thought this was actively working towards it not happening. Isn't this evidence of it? Like, I think they have been doing that. Yeah. This is closing the barn door after the horse has bolted rather than in the development of the program actually making sure it can't happen. But how many years has this rorting, I mean, it's very frustrating to think about this because how many years has this rort been going on for? I know. Well, how long has the CCMS system been around? You know Mm. what's even more annoying? We are seeing some of the dodgy family daycare or in-home care operators moving over to programs like NDIS of course. The bet that in a few years there's going to be NDIS rotting announced yes. every Because you create these markets and that's what happens. People find excellent ways to make money. What's so immoral about it is that it's being taken away um, from really, you know, important business. That's the thing. It's And that's what is infuriating about it. I, yes. Sunday morning was not a good morning in our household when I read this article. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And uh, lastly, so in episodes uh, 60 and 61 of the podcast, we spent time talking about the educator walk-off action that took place around Australia in March as part of the Big Steps campaign. And it turns out we weren't the only ones to notice, as well as a great amount of media coverage here in Australia. It even made the news overseas with examples of coverage found even in the US, including one uh, which had this great final line, As childcare workers in Australia come together to demand better pay, it seems the right time for lawmakers to remember that education is the great equaliser and women's equality can't come soon enough. So I think we just wanted to highlight, yeah, this is that that it's, you know, for a a, a sort of um, a big action in Australia, often don't don't make much of a splash overseas, but it was interesting to see a a few people talking about this in uh, in other countries Mm. as well. And that it was noticed and... It's a good counter to receiving all that Trumpian news that we always receive. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with uh, a discussion I had with Megan Mitchell, the National Children's Commissioner. So stay with us. All right, well, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Megan Mitchell, the National Children's Commissioner. Uh, Commissioner, welcome to the Early Education Show. Thank you. Uh, we really appreciate being on here today. So I thought, um, Megan, it might be a, a good start to maybe just tell us a bit about uh, what the National Children's Commissioner does and, and maybe when the role started and why it was introduced. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so the government made a commitment to have a children's commissioner back in 2012. And um, this followed a, a long-running campaign uh, by the non-government sector in particular to ensure there was an independent advocate uh, at the federal level focused solely on the rights and interests in children. And, and before this, there were children's commissions in most states and territories. Uh, but there was no one dedicated to children nationally. And I started in the role in 2013. Uh, it was also something that the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child, that's the group that oversees countries' progress in meeting um, their obligations under the Convention of the Rights of the Child, had called for for some time. And Australia has been a party to that since 1990. Uh, in terms of my role, um, it is to advocate for the rights and well-being of children in Australia. And I do this as one of the commissioners at the Human Rights Commission. And um, that work takes a number of forms. Um, I'm involved in educating the community, adults and children about children's special rights and the promises Australia's made to children under the Convention. Um, I undertake research and I report on specific human rights issues uh, relating to children or groups of particularly vulnerable children. I look at laws, policy programs to assess whether they're advancing the rights of children. And I can also submit reports to the federal parliament and make recommendations that would help to um, uphold children's rights. And of course, in the role, I regularly consult with children to tap into their thoughts and feelings. Yeah, it's a fantastic role, and where and I know it, the particularly the focus on children's rights is uh, is is fantastic, and uh, listening to the voices of of children uh, is is so important. So, um, you said you being you were the you were the inaugural, so I should say, are ah, the inaugural commissioner. You've just started a new term, so you've been the the first and only person in this role so far. Um, can you tell us a bit about, I guess, your your background before becoming the commissioner? What uh, what made you, uh, you know, uh, take on the role and um, what was your work with children before becoming a commissioner? Well, I, I, I began my working life as, as a teacher and a psychologist. Um, um, I never thought when I, you know, um, was doing that that I'd end up as National Children's Commissioner, but there you go. Um, uh, I've worked in policy and program roles um, in both government and non-government sectors and mostly in the area of disability, child protection and juvenile justice. Um, I was also the CEO of the uh, Australian Council of Social Service for a number of years and that's an organisation that advocates for policy reform to alleviate poverty in Australian society. And immediately before taking up the role of National Commissioner, I was the New South Wales Commissioner for Children and Young People. So all the stars just sort of fell into alignment and I was able to, and I was um, selected to be the first National Children's Commission and I love the job. It's it's a great job. I have such a great time doing it. And I imagine, you know, being the first person in this role, in this newly created role, um, meaning has some particular challenges or, you know, are there particular things that... Um that have um, been, been challenging or just things you've had to focus on as, you know, the person upholding this role uh, for the very first time? Yes, um, you're right. It's um, You come into a role like this, you're given a blank slate, but there are very high and diverse expectations out there of what you can achieve. 
Um, and, you know, the range of issues you could potentially be involved in is as long as the piece of string. So managing those expectations in the context of very modest resources is a particular challenge. And that's why in the first year I decided to conduct a national listening tour that I called the Big Banter. And this allowed me to hear what both advocates and children and young people themselves thought should be the priority for my forward work agenda. And the process was actually invaluable in helping me shape that agenda, set the theme for my work, um, and that has guided me ever since. And they were um, the right to be heard, freedom from violence, abuse and neglect, the ability to thrive, engage citizenship and action and accountability. So those are the guiding themes that have allowed me to set a forward agenda. And I've stuck to that um, over that five years I've been in the role. And I think for those um, like myself who work in early childhood education and particularly in, um, you know, birth to five centres, people may remember the big banter. I, I certainly do. It was a really, it was great to see, you know, so early on in that new role that you were giving the chance um not just for, for educators working directly with really young children, but the children themselves to take part. I, I, I vividly remember those posters being around and supporting centres to engage. So that was a really fantastic thing uh, that happened. So uh, we should say as well, you've just uh, recently been appoint, uh, reappointed to a, to a new two-year term. So congratulations first. But um, maybe having a time to, I guess, draw a little bit of a line and think back to your first term, is there, you know, what are you most proud of from those, that, that, that first sort of term in the role? Yes, um, there's so many things, and thank you for the congratulations. It's, it's um, wonderful to be reappointed. But there are so many things I am proud of, and you know, none of this I've done alone. It's been with um, the help of, you know, um, colleagues in the early childhood sector and in other areas, uh, uh, in other areas who support children. Um, and what I've really enjoyed being able to do is to shine a light on particular children's rights issues at the national level that haven't had much of a light shone on them. Um, so I've, in doing this, I've had the opportunity to undertake a number of major investigations relating to contemporary children's rights issues. So, so for instance, I've looked at the issue of self-harm and suicide among children and young people, a much bigger issue than I think we realise. Um, I've looked at the impact of family violence on children the treatment of children in custodial detention and the needs of teenage uh, parents and their children. And the findings and recommendations of these investigations have been contained in reports to Parliament. And so far, I've produced five reports. And what is pleasing to me is the number of recommendations that have been taken up and advanced, um, especially in the area of data collection and research, which I have to say is pretty light on in terms of children's well-being and so I really want to be able to contribute to building a much better picture of child well-being in Australia. Wonderful it must be great to see that work you know already starting to pay off. Um, now Megan I, I, I'm usually the first to fall victim to being a bit pessimistic about children's rights uh, in Australia and internationally as well but um, you know it's also important to acknowledge the things that Australia does do well in the in the children's rights space. So is there something you wanted to sort of share with people? Where, where do you think Australia sort of stands really tall compared to internationally in the children's yeah. rights space? Well, well, you're right. I mean, often we focus on, you know, what's not going so well for kids, but actually most children in Australia are doing well. They're getting a good education. They're healthy and loved and cared for 
cared for by their families. Um, we have good weather. Uh, we have <laughs> access to fresh food and open spaces where children can play. And not children around the world, not all children around the world have those things. And on the whole, we're an accepting multicultural society with solid economic prospects. All of these things make life in Australia pretty good for most children. I was going to say, I'm calling from Canberra, Megan, so I don't know if my children would agree about the weather, but uh, we, we can, we, we'll, we'll take it as generally that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's, that's pretty true. Um, but obviously that then, you know, there are also some things that I think Australia needs to have a particularly strong focus on. Um, you know, what, and, you, and you obviously sort of mentioned them as sort of the, the key themes of your first term and the, the reports and the, the research has already been done, but are there particular things Australia really needs to focus on to improve um, in children's rights? Yeah, look, and there are particular groups of children who struggle to have their rights met. And um, I would point to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and children in rural and remote uh, locations in particular. These children have higher higher rates of suicide and self-harm, greater exposure to family and domestic violence, and lower access to all sorts of services, including health services. And as a country, we also have very high numbers of children living away from their family in out-of-home care, um, an experience that does not deliver great outcomes to children and tends to perpetuate intergenerational disadvantage. So I think we've got a lot of work to do in those sorts of areas and for those particular groups of children um, to make sure they don't fall further behind and, in fact, that they need to catch up to um, other Australian children. In Australia, too, children's rights I don't think are well known or understood. The Convention asks us to ensure that adults and children know about their rights, and this is a fundamental precondition to the realisation of their rights. But the fact that we don't have a Bill of Rights, I believe, means that children are not systematically, children's rights are not systematically embedded in laws or policies. Uh, So we've got a long way to go to educate the public about children's rights and our obligations to children. And look, that's probably a nice segue. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, my bias and the bias of the show is we're the early education show. We're very focused on the first five years. And those voices, I think, are particularly hard uh, to to amplify and promote. But I think they're particularly hard as a community to hear and listen to because I think we we um, we often assume they're not knowledgeable or they're not confident and capable in, in speaking or talking about, you know, their rights. And as the National Children's Commission, and I, I referred to the big banter earlier, which was such a fantastic way of uh, ensuring that those voices were captured and heard and informed your work. But um, are there particular challenges, you know, for you in trying to ensure the voices of children under the age of five are heard? Well, Article 12 of the Convention, is, which is the right of the child to have a voice in all the matters that affect them, is in reality the gateway to realising all other rights under the Convention. So we really need to keep faith with Article 12 um, as a country. Um, but as you just said, perceptions about children's capacity, I think, means there are challenges to having children's voices heard, and this is especially so for younger children. I also think that some adults don't know how to talk to children or they think that there may be risks in doing so. Um, but as I've said in my job, I regularly talk to kids of all ages and, and the Big Banner was a great example of how, with the support of the early childhood sector, uh, I was able to get the views of very young children. Um, I um, 
was invited to census and did exercises and had conversations with lots of young children. Um, and I received hundreds of postcards with ideas and artwork um, from under five about what would make Australia a better place for children to live. And, you know, children are generous and insightful about their world and what they need to be okay and do well. And I think it is essential that we listen to children, especially as we're designing programs and interventions around them. They are the experts in their own lives. And even very young children uh, can uh, you, you benefit from their expertise. That's right. You, you won't get any disagreement here, Megan. So, um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, uh, and not to suggest that this is even close to our listenership, you know, there's around about probably 150,000 prof- uh, you know, educators working with young children around uh, in early childhood centres and preschools and kindergartens today. Um, Megan, uh, if you could, you know, speak to them all, if you could get them all in a room somehow, but um, what do you wish that, you know, that, that early education sector um, could do to support your work in those first five years? What could we do to, to help you do your role? Well, in fact, the early childhood sector has been a great ally for me over the first five years, so I hope it will continue to be an ally for me. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, I think, I think the workers in the early childhood sector really, on the whole, they walk the rights talk in their day-to-day interactions with children. Uh, they get rights uh, in ways that many other sectors don't. And... Uh, and in, in addition to facilitating that engagement with children back in 2013 and beyond, um, I've also worked with the Early Childhood Association on the development of a statement of intent for supporting young children's rights. This was um, um, developed as a sort of a practical guide for workers uh, designed to increase their knowledge about children's rights and how these could be applied in early childhood education and care settings. And we also, in 2016, we consulted with a range of early childhood organisations to um, belonging toolkit. This is to help uh, early childhood practitioners manage racism and prejudice in, in those settings as well. So we have had an ongoing kind of collaboration with the early childhood sector. And I have found, you know, workers in this field very committed on the whole to children's rights. And, and I just would call on everybody to you know, engage with those documents, um, uh, engage with me and, you know, to become champions of children's rights in, in the places that um, that you occupy and, well, in, in your homes and your communities and your workplaces. Wonderful. So, Megan, you have at least another two years ahead of you in this role, um, which will go by quite quickly with my knowledge of how time goes by in, in these sort of roles. Um, but what are the key things you'll be focusing on for the next two years? Okay, well, there's a couple of things. Um, In response to the work of the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse, last year I began leading uh, uh, some work to develop national principles for child safe organisations. This covers all aspects of an organisation's operations from governance, leadership and culture to training, recruitment and complaint handling. And it also includes requirements to ensure children and families have a say in how organisations operate um, and covers all kinds of organisations who serve children, big and small. And to assist implement the principles, we're also developing a suite of tools and resources uh, to help organisations on their child safe journey, what we're calling it. And this will be an ongoing stream of activity for me as the government or governments respond to the recommendation of the Royal Commission. And I understand that they'll be 
having their, their first responses to that inquiry will um, will happen mid this year. So that's an ongoing piece of work that I'm leading, and we've engaged the early um, childhood sector in um, in the uh, in our advisory groups on that work as well, because obviously they're a big provider of services to children and places where children need to be safe and feel safe. The other stream of work for me is that um, this year Australia is reporting to the United Nations on how Australia is meeting its international obligations to children. Uh, we last um, reported, um, you know, in 2011, and um, uh, and so it's been some time where we've had a bit of a check-in as how we're going. Uh, obviously, one of the things that Australia can say they've got that they didn't have then is the National Children's Commissioner. Uh, so, and so there's a bit to say about what's happened in that time. And um, I will be reporting independently to that committee about Australia's progress. Um, and I'll be doing that by November this year and appearing at the committee probably in 2019. Um, and to support this process, I'm calling for submissions from people and organisations that have something to say about the state of children's rights in Australia. And I'll also be travelling around to hear firsthand from children and young people and their advocates, kind of banter 2.0 kind of thing. Um, um, and I also intend, because there are constraints on how, how much, you know, the reports to the UN, I also intend to prepare a more comprehensive version a kind of a state of the nation on child rights in Australia uh, as my next children's rights report and using the information I collect. And that'll be submitted to the government later in the year. So I'm really keen to hear from people in the early childhood sector uh, on, you know, what they think about the state of children's rights in, uh, in Australia and to include any views that folk have on how Australia is progressing or not progressing in terms of meeting our obligations to children. Um, so I would say that process is live now and um, you can go on the Human Rights website, um, humanrights.gov.au and click on our work and children and you'll find out information about that um, project and how you can make a submission to it uh, and also on the Child Safe Organisation's work as well. Wonderful, and we'd really recommend contributing to these processes. This is a great way for for uh, the the early education sector to have its voice heard, and through that, uh, the voice of children as well. So, um, C Commissioner Megan Mitchell, we really appreciate your time. Uh, in a, in a very, as you've just said, you've got a very busy uh, place at the moment, but we really appreciate your time uh, speaking to the Early Education Show. Thank you so much. It was great fun. All right. Welcome back. Thanks again to Commissioner Mitchell for uh, taking some time out of her very busy schedule. She's got a packed two years ahead of her to speak with the Early Education Show. But let's move on to our recommendations for the week. Now, Leanne, it's been a while since you've given a recommendation. So Lisa and I have decided, you know what, we're going to feel a bit generous this week. You're going to get two recommendations. So what have oh, you got for us? Are you sure she's worth that? She takes time off and she gets a pay rise. Absolutely. Well, to be fair, she then had to go and do the homework to find two recommendations. You could see it as sort oh, of... Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is, clearly are... I forgot that it was only one and what? that's why I've got two. <laughs> well, we're going to call them recommendations in lieu. Okay. Well, I'll I'll tell you what. I'll do half time for each of them so that way I'm not taking up too much air time. 
How does that sound? Sounds good. Um, so my first one, of course, is a conversation article because I could not return without doing a conversation <laughs> article. So I'm very happy. But it really um, actually stood out for me. It's about materials in playgrounds, in childcare playgrounds. So it was um, some research that was conducted by um, researchers who looked at three childcare centres in the western suburbs of Sydney, um, some of them quite new playgrounds, and found that the heat stress on children in these playgrounds is, you know, really not conducive to their right to play in the outdoor area and that children were um, moving into the indoors as a result of this heat that was created by environments that were um, synthetic. And the thing that struck me the most, and this will strike a lot of um, childcare services, is that the, the stress of a grass cover that is worn away is less than the stress of a synthetic surface. And how many, how many centres have replaced that dusty surface that they have with beautiful synthetic surface because they think it's going to be better for children's play, when in actual fact it probably isn't. So I just thought that was a very interesting one in terms of um, how we address outdoor issues for children. Yeah, interesting. And my, yeah, my second one, this is really more a, a call to action from um, any of our younger listeners, 19 to 24, to become a UNICEF Australia Young ambas Ambassador. And this is a fantastic opportunity. Um, you make an application and you become an ambassador for a year. Obviously, it's a competitive process. But there's all sorts of fantastic professional development that's involved in this, learning about children's rights, about how to advocate with governments, all sorts of fantastic stuff that we all wish we could do because, first of all, that would mean we're under 24, but also um, I know that the three of us would absolutely thrive on an opportunity like this. So I'm encouraging anybody who's 19 to 24, wouldn't it be wonderful to see an educator? Can't we pretend in we this... are? Oh, no one is going to believe us, Lisa. I'm sorry. Oh, young, young at heart we may be. <laughs> um, and you're an ambassador for a year and you take on, it's talking about three to five extra hours a week. Now, I know that most educators don't have three to five extra hours a week because of all of the things that they are doing, but this would be a wonderful opportunity. So I encourage everybody to take a look at that or refer it on to someone who you think might be a great young ambassador to uphold children's rights. Absolutely. Great Yay. idea. All right, Lisa, what have you got for us? Look, I've got something um, written by someone who I'll be able to make public confession here. I don't normally like Tim Winton's writing. I can't quite cope with his books, but there is I've included this because it's something he's written about toxic masculinity and its impact on boys, particularly on the boys that he notices when he's out surfing and how boys police other boys, etc. So it's not really an early childhood one, but it's got some absolutely beautiful um, quotes in it where the writing is particularly beautiful. One that I picked out and tweeted the other day out of this article is children are born wild and that's beautiful. It's wondrous regardless of gender. Even when they're feral creatures, kids are reservoirs of tenderness and empathy. But some do turn into savages and sadly most of them are boys. They're trained into it because of neglect or indulgence and it goes on from there. But 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think everyone should read it just because it's got some really interesting ideas about how boys um, sometimes do become the kind of men that we don't really want them to. And it's beautifully written, Lisa. I thought it was a wonderful yeah, it is. recommendation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've read it as well. It was it's a um it's a it's a pretty confronting but important read. Um, my one's actually probably along a similar theme in terms of being confronting but important. Is an article in the Guardian um, by uh, uh, the CEO of the Aboriginal Child, Family and Community Care Secretariat, which is uh, more commonly known as ABSECT, uh, Tim Ireland. Um, and he, it, the headline is Removing Aboriginal Children from Their Families Has Failed. There is another way. And I won't sort of go point by point, but um, he sort of makes a call here that, you know, that we need to work with Indigenous people and communities who have been working for quite a while to solve these issues and he's sort of referring to a lot of the media attention you know particularly on crazy things like sunrise where they're saying you know essentially the indigenous people are doing nothing to resolve these issues and uh, uh, tim's very reasonable point is they've been trying to resolve these issues with uh, non-indigenous people for quite some time and just haven't been haven't been listened to uh the only particular reason i wanted to to recommended on the show here today is he makes a really good point of calling out um, the importance of investment in early, in early intervention and if we had a you know a better sort of community understanding and discussion about early childhood education i just feel sure he would include that as well but i'm going to i'm going to wrap that up into well, early surely int- early yeah. education is part of any early intervention process yeah i th- well i think th- i think so I, d- I don't think in the wider community i don't think those are connected yet in australia in the national discourse but uh, we can get there yeah Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, I kind of feel like we've depressed ourselves a bit. We do, do you know, on yeah. Leanne's first episode back here. Yeah. How could you do that? No. Let's all just push out that becoming a UNICEF Australia Young Ambassador, and then we'll just yeah. think happy yeah. thoughts about <laughs> activism and advocacy. And it's really nice to be back. Absolutely. You've been, you've Good, been very it's nice to have you back. Oh, <laughs> well, thanks. you've been very we gentle. You. Yes. <laughs> well, now we're now we're happy. Leanne's back. We're going to announce now we're going to be away for for two weeks. So you're not going to hear from us for for <laughs> I'm a, exhausted. Uh, for a couple of. I know. Well, that's <laughs> poor Leanne. She she told us, look, I'll come back for one episode, but I'm going to need a couple of weeks off. And we said, well, <laughs> she's been a bit of a diva, listeners, for the last little while. But that's okay. We can we can continue to manage that. But um, I think one of the deals we made ourselves when we came back uh, this year was we're going to take probably a few more regular breaks this year just to uh, just to ease up on the the weekly record sessions uh, weekly record schedule so we will be away for two weeks and we'll be back uh, a bit later in april uh with is um, that school holidays have we timed it with school holidays i think we have look certainly in the act so now i have a school-aged child but these school holidays have a much more vital importance to me now so i'm not sure if it's exactly the same school holidays everywhere in australia but certainly the act uh, it is so. We'll be back when those when those school holidays have have wrapped up. Um, this one might do well as we're going to be away for a little while. This might be a good just uh, reminder to everyone. If you get a chance, if you're enjoying the show, you're liking uh, the the crazy things we we go on about. If you think we're not talking enough about the childcare package, you know, um, you know, <laughs> leave us leave us a review on iTunes. That's a really great way you can you can help us out. A review on the Apple Podcast Store helps other people find the podcast and bumps us up on the rankings. And if you're so inclined, and uh, we you will have our eternal gratitude to uh, financially support the show directly. Uh, you can do that over at Patreon. P A T R E O N. 
facebook.com forward slash early edu show. That support is really And valuable. thanks to all of those that already do support us on Patreon. We're very, very grateful. But we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And until then, it's bye from me. And from me. And from me. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leah McNicholas and produced by Leah McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.